Good morning. Yeah, it is good to be together this morning. Good to be up here again. Uh, I am just so excited about the opportunities we just talked about. As Joe said, we are, uh, the heart of our church is really to be a people who live out the mission of God in the world and that we don't just gather on Sunday and talk about Jesus and then go into our lives and do nothing about it, but that we actually live it out. And we believe that you have the opportunity and ability to make an impact in small and big ways. So please go talk to Dave and Sherry. Man, you talk to them for three minutes and you'll be like, I'm all in. Let's do it. They are the most excitable people I've ever met. They are passionate about it. And uh, I'll stop talking about it because I'll get fired up. We'll just do a totally different thing. But do that. Please jump in. Head first. Get out there. Make an impact. You can do it. Okay. Where do you feel stuck these days? Where do you feel stuck these days? Because I'm going to guess that there's probably some area in your life where you feel a little stuck. You, you know, do you feel stuck, say, with your finances? Like, like you just can't get ahead? I just can't quite figure it out? Do you feel stuck with your parenting? Been there. Do you feel stuck in your marriage? Not in your marriage, but with your marriage. Sorry. <laughs> Two different things. With your marriage. Some of you are like, no, it's in the marriage. No, don't say that. <laughs> Maybe with your mental health, you feel stuck. Anxiety, depressed. Do you, do you feel stuck with your physical health? I just can't, I can't figure it out. I, I feel lethargic all the time. I don't sleep well. I'm overstressed. Do you still feel stuck with your prayer life? Do you feel stuck with your relationship? Where do you feel stuck right now? Because I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all feel a little stuck somewhere, don't we? We all feel a little stuck somewhere. And you know, I've got to thinking, it's really kind of a natural experience for us as humans to get stuck. We get stuck all the time. It just happens. It's a part of what it means to live in a broken world. And the question then becomes is, how do we respond when we feel stuck? I mean, because that's really where things can go really, really wrong if we're not careful, how our response to feeling stuck is. Now, if you're like me, when you get stuck in life, your immediate response is to find a better way. This is like my mantra and has been for years, and it's got me far in places, and it's gotten me in a lot of trouble in places. But my immediate response when I get stuck is, there's got to be a better way. I got to be able to find an alternative to what I'm doing right now, because clearly what I'm doing right now is not working. So what's the alternative? And so you start to reroute your life in an effort to get you unstuck. Maybe that's like you, or maybe you just throw in the towel. You're just like, whatever, I can't do this. You know what? I'll just be broke the rest of my life. It's never going to work out, right? My kids are off the rails. There's nothing I can do about it, right? Physically, I, I don't know. I'm just going to be stressed and worn out. I'll never get a good night's sleep. Just whatever. Or, or maybe you just start to press harder. You're just like, no, pull my boots up. Let's go. We're going to get through this, right? You push your way out of feeling stuck and it only leaves you frustrated and exhausted. And you know, there's like a wake of dead bodies in your, in your behind you. Maybe, maybe that's how you deal with the stuckness in your life. You know, all of us have this method 
this coping mechanism for how we deal with the stuckness in our life, right? But are any of the methods that we often choose, are any of them really all that helpful? And even more importantly, are they at all what God has in mind for us when we find ourselves stuck in life? Well, last week, Pastor DJ, give it up for Pastor DJ. Pastor DJ jumped back into Acts chapter 18 after we took a little brief hiatus and talked about our church and the mission of our church. And at the start of chapter 18, Paul, we see, the Apostle Paul leaves Athens and ends up in the city of Corinth, where he meets two people, Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul shares a certain affinity with them, if you will. They're tent makers who love Jesus, right? So they partner up in both business and spreading the gospel. However, Paul, like so many other places, isn't very well received among the Corinthians, especially the Jewish people in Corinth. Now, Paul's not a stranger to this. This is what happens every time he goes from one place to another. And so after being opposed and insulted at the synagogue where he, he usually would go, first place he would go to, Paul determines, look, I'm going to focus my time and energy on the Gentiles in Corinth and Gentiles being non-Jewish people living in Corinth. Now, because of its southern location in the country of Greece, or modern-day Greece, Corinth was considered one of the greatest trading and commercial centers of the first century, which means a couple of things. It was highly diverse. There were people from all over the world who took residence and who lived even temporarily in the city of Corinth. But it also, because of its trading uh, location, was a place of extreme prosperity, Wealth was abundant, as was luxury and debauchery. Sky's the limit, right? In fact, if a Corinthian was ever portrayed in a Greek play, get this, if there was a, a Corinthian who was portrayed in a Greek play, they were always drunk. <laughs> that was sort of the stereotype of someone who was from Corinth. They're drunk, they're debaucherous, they're wealthy, they, they just love luxury, right? And so this is the, the world in which Paul is immersing himself in as he gets to know the Corinthian people outside of the Jewish population. And this is in stark contrast to the city of Athens where Paul just was. In the city of Athens, you have a completely different culture. It was considered intellectual, disciplined, and philanthropic even. There was a sense of which we want to help one another as we navigate how we exist in this world together. Nevertheless, it is here in Corinth that Paul would end up doing some of the greatest work for the gospel. In this luxurious, undisciplined, debaucherous, wealthy city, God would begin to do some of his greatest work. It's also in Corinth where Paul would be given guidance from Jesus himself, which was a rare occurrence. Only a couple of places do we see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts specifically, where Jesus speaks directly to Paul. But he does it in Corinth. And what he says, I believe, is a key that helps to unlock our stuckness. So let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 18 starting in verse 7. 
By the way, if you haven't done so yet, you can open up the Uversion app, follow along with everything we're going to talk about here, okay? Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 7. Then he left and went to the home of Titius Hustus, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. Now, I don't think that it's a coincidence, and DJ mentioned this last week, it's a coincidence that Paul chooses to start his ministry to the Gentiles in the house right next door to the synagogue. It's like he walks out the synagogue and he goes, I'm going to stay right here. I want you all to take notice of what God's going to do right outside your front door. I mean, Paul's got a little sass to him, right? Paul's got a little attitude. He, he's not one to put down uh, for a fight, right? He, he's willing to let those who ought to be following God to know what it looks like to actually be following God. I mean, Paul is really just saying, look, if you're going to mock and oppose me in the synagogue, then I'm just going to go next door and do what I am here to do. And you know what? It works. The text says that many in Corinth, including the leader of the synagogue, believe and are baptized. Can you imagine that scene? As Christmas comes and he's believed and he's baptized, Paul just going, I told you. I told you, this is what happens when you listen to God and you start to follow Jesus. Now, at this point, Paul's MO would be to get things established a bit in Corinth, and then he would move on. That was typical. Paul never stayed in any one place a very long time. He got up, got things running, he put, appointed some leaders, and then he moved on to the next city. But, this, but his time in Corinth would actually be much different. Here's what it says in verse 9. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I'm with you and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. Now, other than the city of Ephesus, Paul would spend the most time in Corinth than any other city he visits. 18 months, to be exact, is about how long Paul stays there. And the end result is that the, Corinth, the Corinthian church would become one of the epicenters of the church in the first century. Not only because of what God would do in the people there, but also because of its centralized location within the Mediterranean Sea and the areas surrounding it. And additionally, this is one of the few places, as I mentioned, where Jesus speaks directly to Paul. He doesn't have a vision. There isn't an angel that visits him. He doesn't have some sort of intuition. Luke records that Paul receives a direct message from Jesus himself who says, I don't want you to be afraid. I need you to speak out, followed by a promise that I will be with you and no harm will come to you. Now look, if Jesus says to you verbatim, you see him, he talks to you, and he says, go, speak out, don't be afraid, I will be with you, no harm will be done to you, you could probably walk forward with a lot of confidence, right? Yeah. I mean, Paul, look, Paul's like, look, God is on my side, and 
Paul's known that for a long time, but now the, the leader of his faith, Jesus himself has said, look, this is what I want you to do. There are many in this city that are mine and I want them to become new followers of me. And so don't be afraid, speak out. I'll be with you. No harm will come to you. Walk in confidence. So Paul does. Paul does exactly what Jesus says. Now, before I move on, I think it's worth noting that this promise that Jesus gives, this instruction and this promise that Jesus gives, especially the promise that no one will harm you, is not something Paul has received previously. Quite the opposite. Okay, Paul has been and will be harmed in some of the most unthinkable ways. He'll be imprisoned. He was imprisoned. He's beaten. He's tortured. You name it, it happens to Paul. Harm and Paul are like synonymous with each other. They just go hand in hand. Paul's entire life, for the most part, was a harmed life. So for now, though, Jesus says, look, Paul, for this time, I need you to do this like you've never done it before. And I am promising you no harm will come to you. Put yourself in Paul's shoes for a second. You've been from city to city for years. And every time you talk about Jesus, somebody harms you. Right? So it's easy for us to go, well, yeah, walk in confidence, Paul. Like you got, Jesus has got your back. And he's going to do that. But also... This is an odd promise from Jesus to someone who has spent the last number of years being harmed because he speaks about Jesus. And yet Paul does what he says, and here's what happens. Verse 12, but when Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. Not a good start to Jesus coming through on his promise. Same story, different day. Paul speaks out. He's not afraid. Boom. Some of the Jews rise up against him, and they bring him before the governor for judgment. Now, they're not bringing him before the governor so that he can just get to know the guy, right? They're bringing him there because they want some harm done to Paul. I mean, this is the same scenario that happens in every city Paul visits. He talks about Jesus. People don't like it. They rise up and they try to get him imprisoned or killed. It's just set on repeat one, you know? Like it's the same song, just a different day. And Jesus gave, but Jesus just gave this promise to Paul that no harm will come to him. And yet here he is again. Here he is again. What will happen? Verse 13, they accuse Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law, which by the way, the Jews were always trying to utilize the Roman law as a scapegoat for imprisoning and beating Christians, even though they themselves didn't abide by most of the law that the Romans gave, right? Verse 14, but just as Paul started to make his defense, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it's merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. 
I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. He might be the laziest judge ever. That's okay, right? The crowd then grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Gallio paid no attention. This is a very unlikely turn of events. Paul, Paul doesn't even have a chance to make his case and his defense before Gallio and the, the court, right? In case it's not clear, this is not typically how things work out for Paul. This is quite the opposite. Paul is usually tried and then imprisoned and then beaten. Never is he just let go. The case is never just thrown out, and then they grab the synagogue leader and beat him. That never happens in Paul's life. So let's go back. Paul receives an instruction. Speak out. Don't be afraid. Followed by a promise from Jesus. I will be with you, and no one will harm you. Now, being the faithful follower that he is, Paul does as Jesus asks. He just does it. He speaks out about Jesus. People respond in faith. They believe. They're baptized. They're, they're, they're born anew into this new community called the church. But just as it always happens, Paul still lands in hot water with the Jewish and Roman people in Corinth. Now, I want you to just, for a minute, put yourself in Paul's shoes. What is going through your mind as you stand on trial again? I mean, it would be incredibly tempting to doubt the promise of Jesus in that moment, wouldn't it? Do you think that Paul feels a little stuck in this moment? I did what you asked, God. You made this promise, and yeah, here I am. Same place, same place I always end up on trial, just trying to figure out whether they're going to torture me or beat me or throw me in prison or kick me out of the city. I don't know. But here I am again. I mean, I would be tempted to wonder if the promise Jesus made is even worth trusting at that point. After all, it's just a matter of time, right? And Paul knows it's just a matter of time before I'm thrown in prison again and beaten. Paul did what was asked of him. He followed through on his end of the bargain. He spoke out. He relied on the promise Jesus made that he would be with him and no one would harm him. But now here he is, stuck in the same position he seems to end up every single time. He seems to be stuck between that instruction and that promise. And I just want to pause for a second here. Because where Paul is in this moment is where we spend a lot of our lives. If you follow Jesus, if you're on even the fence about following Jesus, man, I'm, hope, I'm so glad you're here, by the way. If you follow Jesus, you will quick, quickly realize that so much of your life is spent responding to Jesus' instructions and waiting to see the fulfillment of his promises. And I'll be honest with you, there are times, many times, where you feel a little stuck in between those two. Paul is waiting in the courtroom and undoubtedly wondering, will Jesus come through on his promise? 
Now, unfortunately, it's in this in-between space, this stuck place where people can often get lost and make a whole lot of bad choices. I just want to go back to the book of Exodus as an example. Take the Israelites. You might know the story, right? God instructs them to leave the land of Egypt where they're enslaved, and then he promises them that they are going to be led to a new land that will be theirs, a land flowing with milk and honey, this beautiful place where God will rule, where they'll be free to worship him and to live their lives as he intended. So the instruction is, leave Egypt, go to this land that I am calling you to. And the promise is, I will lead you to this land, and it will be your land where you will be free to worship me and to live as I have intended. Now, I'm guessing the Israelites thought, okay, right? We'll just get on our donkeys. We'll just ride over. You know, piece of cake. We'll be in the land, right? It's like us. Like, I'm just going to get in my car. I'm just going to drive to California, right? I'll be there. Six, seven hours, we'll be there. Boom. All right? This is not how it happens for the Israelites, right? Now, to be fair, a major part of the major delay that they run into is because when they get between the instruction and the promise and they start to feel a little stuck, they make all sorts of bad decisions. And how long do they get stuck there? 40 years, right? Man, I'm 45. That's a long time, right? That's a long time to be stuck. And you know what? I'm guessing that some of you in this room, you have felt stuck for 40 years, maybe longer. So much of our lives are spent between the instruction and the promise. And when we get stuck between those two, how we decide to behave, how we respond is the most important decision we can make. Now listen, our world, you know it, I know, is becoming more and more instantaneous. Communication, shopping, news, music, entertainment, it all happens in an instant. No waiting, you know? Just respond and deliver, right? Push a button, you got it, right? I ordered something from Amazon the other day. It was there in 30 minutes, how do they even do that? Are they just waiting outside my door, right? Like, here's your windshield wipers, right? Hi, here. I don't understand it. I don't need to understand it. Now, I'll say this. I love it. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Like, I can, you know, I can go on my, my uh, Spotify account. I can listen to any song ever written in the world at the touch of a button. That's amazing. But here's the problem. When it comes to our faith, things are rarely, if ever, instant. And the time between our response to God's word and his instructions and the fulfillment of his promises, they are rarely, if ever, instant. They take weeks, months, years. And in some cases, they don't even happen during your lifetime. You know, Moses, who led the Israelites that 40 years, you may know this, he never stepped foot in the promised land. He got to see it from a distance, but he didn't actually lead them there. 
He spent his whole life between the instruction and the promise, and it wasn't until he died that the promise would be fulfilled. Now, we are careful. We can easily begin to appropriate the speed of our world to the methods of God. In other words, it can be easy to look around and see the world moving at light speed and wondering, God, are you going to keep up? Are you going to keep up around here? I'm a little stuck. Could you move it along a little faster? Could you move at the pace of Amazon, please? Yeah. Could you move a little faster? And when he doesn't, the temptation to bail, the temptation to look for an alternative, the temptation to push a little harder becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And so as Paul sits before the court in Corinth, it's safe to say he's wondering if Jesus is going to come through on his promise. I've been here a year, a year and a half. I've been doing exactly what you said I would do. And now here I am again, stuck in this courtroom, just awaiting my punishment. But he trusts, I think, Jesus more than we might expect. Because, see, he isn't, allow, he isn't willing to allow the circumstances that he finds him, him, himself in, even the fact that he's very well stuck where he is, to derail the promise he received from Jesus. He isn't willing to allow his stuckness to determine his next steps, only the promise. I'm willing to bet that most of us are sitting in the court of Corinth for one reason or another right now. And you've responded to the call of Jesus in your life. You've responded to some of the instructions he's given you. And you're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And you feel stuck there, wondering, God, will you come through? And what you said is true. To which I think God is going to call us all to this morning. And I think Paul exampled for us two words that we can continue to remind ourselves when we feel stuck. Respond and remain. Let me explain. When we feel stuck, the call on our lives is to continue to respond to the instructions that God has given us. To not bail on it. One pastor says that obedience is the key to unlocking the promises of God. Paul continues to respond to the instructions of God regardless of when or if the promise comes in his lifetime. It's obedience at its greatest level. So we too, when we feel stuck, we are called to continue to respond faithfully to the instructions God has given us and then also to remain in the promises he's given to not lose sight of them, to hold tightly to them, to remind ourselves of them, that Jesus is faithful, to look back at a story like Paul in Corinth in Acts chapter 18 and go, see, Paul was stuck and Jesus still came through. And he will come through for me too. He will come through for this church. He will come through for this world. I need to just continue to respond in faith and discipline and obedience to him and remain in the promises he's given to us. I'm telling you right now, I get it. That is not a popular message. I want it now. Right? I want it even if I don't follow the instructions of God. I still want the promise. 
This is not how God set it up. Jesus is calling us to a faithful life. And when he says something, he means it. Not just what he promises, but what he instructs as well. So here's what I'm saying. If you feel stuck, this might not be what you want to hear today, but it's what you need to hear. If you feel stuck, respond to the instructions God has given you and remain in his promises. Look, the world around us, the circumstances, all that, it's going to change. He's not changing. When he says something, he means it. We, we have this statement in, in, uh, in our home, and actually my wife's going to preach on it in a few weeks, which, look out, ladies and guys. We have this statement, when, when God like, comes through, and we'll just say to each other, it's all true. It's all true. Like he said it, and he meant it, and he did it. And maybe it wasn't in my timing, and it wasn't instant, and he didn't bring a box to my door. But man, it's all true. Maybe you're a parent, and you have responded to the instruction to raise your child to love and follow Jesus. And yet, you look at what's going on, and you see that the promise that he's given you has yet to be fulfilled. And you're wondering if God's going to come through on his promise. And you feel stuck in that. And that's a real valid experience. But can I offer to you what Paul experienced and what Jesus calls us to, to respond and remain, to continue to respond as a parent who loves their child and to remain in the promise that he has your child even when you're at a place like Paul was, wondering if things will ever come true. If you're a parent, the best advice I can tell you as you get through these years with your children, even as they get into their young adult years and their aged years, that you respond and remain. Keep showing up. Keep responding to the instruction to raise your children up to love and follow Jesus and remain in the promise that he has them, that he's with them, that he's working in them. Even when it looks like they have lost their minds and they continue to do exactly the opposite of what you would hope they would do, keep responding. Don't throw the towel in. Don't press too hard. Don't, don't look for an alternative. Just keep responding to the instructions of God and remain in the promise he's given you. Amen. Teenagers, I know you're in here. Keep responding to the instruction of Jesus to follow him. And remain in that promise that those who do truly find life, even when the days get dark and things get tough and pressures mount to bail, keep responding, teenagers. Keep remaining. It is well worth every moment that you do it. With your finances, keep responding to the instructions of God. Get out of debt. Save for your future. Be generous. Give your tithe and then remain in the promise that he gives in the book of Malachi that the floodgates of blessing will be open to you. Respond and remain in that promise. With your marriage, keep responding to God's instruction to selflessly serve the other and honor them. Refuse to allow the selfishness and the bitterness to take root in your marriage. And even when things get tough, remain in the promises of God that he is using your marriage to point others to himself. 
Here's, are you getting this? Yeah. Respond and remain, respond and remain. It's the life of someone who follows Jesus. It's the key that unlocks our stuckness in life. It's not some supplement, right? It's not some TikTok influencer. God forbid. It's deciding I'm going to respond to the instructions, the timeless instructions that God has given, and I am going to remain in the promise that I know, that I know will come to pass because he is faithful and good. Now, here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions, especially about that area in your life where you feel stuck. I want you to ask, the first question I want you to ask is, do you know what God has instructed? Do you know what God has said about your finances, about your marriage, right? About your your health, your physical, your mental, your emotional. Do you have any idea what God has instructed? And if you don't, there is a place you can find it. It's called the Bible, right? And look, I get it. You're like, there's a big book. There's this other place called Google, and it is massive, and you can just search things. What does God say about my money? Now, be careful, okay? I'm not saying just like whatever, but be careful. But you could, you could learn this, what he has instructed, how he has set this thing up. And then I want you to ask yourself the other question, which do you know what God has promised? Do you know what God has promised about your children? Do you know what God has promised about your marriage when you respond in faith to his instructions? Do you know? Now, we got to be people of the word. We got to know what God has instructed. We got to be able to know what God has promised if we want to respond and remain in those things. Keep responding. Keep listening to instructions. Keep remaining. Let me leave you with these words from Jesus because I believe it articulates so well what Paul was going through in Corinth and what Jesus is asking us today. This is a promise, by the way. But it's also sort of covered in instruction. Jesus says, yes, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Don't get that mixed up, by the way. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You hear that? What do you mean, nothing? Yeah. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Let me read verse 7 again. But if you remain in me and my words my instructions, my promises, remain in you. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. You want to get unstuck? Respond and remain. Respond to his instructions. Get to know what he has said. Allow it to unlock the key. Or excuse me, yeah, right? The key that unlocks the promises of God. Respond and remain. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this word this morning. Thank you for the example of Paul. I can hardly imagine what it must have been like for Paul to sit in that courtroom and wonder, here we go again. And I think I'm selling Paul short. 
a little. I, I, I'm pretty sure God, he had not lost his confidence in that moment, but I know that I sure do. And so for all of us in this room who feel stuck, God, I pray that even right now, your spirit make it very, very clear as to the instructions we have been called to respond to and the promises that you have given us. Lord, that we would choose to remain in you and allow your words, your instructions, and your promises to remain in us. God, that we wouldn't throw the towel in, we wouldn't look for alternatives, we wouldn't just try to push forward on our own, but instead that we would respond in faith to your instructions and hold tightly to the promises that you've given us because in the end, it's all true. It's all true. Thank you, Jesus, for walking this earth and showing us what this looks like. In the hardest moments of your life, as you walked to the cross, you continued to respond to the instructions of God and remain in the promises he'd given us. That through your death and your resurrection, this world would be redeemed. And so may we follow suit with you. May we walk in your footsteps as we seek to remain in your promises and respond to your instructions, Jesus. We will pray this in your name. Amen.